Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition and coming to you live from the Investor Summit at Sea. Today's a very special episode. We have roundtable discussions on the Summit at Sea, in particular on the Sea Days. And today's lunchtime discussion was focused on the simple question of whether to build versus buy. On today's show, we're talking about some of the unique considerations that come with development as opposed to buying an existing product. Enjoy today's conversation. What is typically your number one challenge in development? Is it dealing with municipalities? Is it something else? Yeah, that's a great question. Most of the delays that happen in projects are typically at the front end. It's not because it took the drywall guys an extra week you know, to put it up. It's not like it took the painters an extra two, three days. That might happen, but that's not going to delay your project six months or a year. If, there, if you're experiencing those kind of major delays, they're almost always at the front end. In fact, the example that I gave yesterday of the Maplewood RV Park, all of those delays were at the front end. They impacted our ability to get sign off on permits. So, you know, there's a long checklist in order to get, get all your permits done. If you only get issued the permit when the last item on the checklist is completed. So, we, you know, we were probably six months, maybe seven months delayed on our permits. When you experience setbacks, whether it be through a municipality delay or whatever, do you raise all of your capital up front from your investors or do you do, say, funding stages required as needed in certain increments? That's a great question. And there's no right or wrong answer. I can tell you what we've done. Sometimes we will do the capital raise for the land as, as a single raise. And because you don't need, and let's say you're going to go through an entitlement process, it's going to take a period of time. You don't need all the equity for the construction hanging around for that length of time, especially if that front end is a longer time period. So in that scenario, what, uh, what we've done in the past is do a raise for the land it's funded 100% out of equity. And we're buying the land typically at low enough a price that if we say, okay, this didn't work, we have to fire sale the land, we can still be very confident. We'll give the investors 100% of their capital back. Whether we make any money is immaterial at that point, making sure that the investors are whole. You know, for example, the last couple of projects that we did, we bought the land at equivalent of well under three dollars a square foot for the land where the going rate in the market for entitled land was north of six or seven dollars a square foot in that type of a scenario you feel pretty secure that you're going to get your money back even if you had to fire sale the land say the project failed you fire sale the land you're going to get it back the other thing that we often do is if possible make the entitlement a condition of purchase Uh, we you know we did two projects last year in one case we were successful in getting that as a condition of purchase. So in the time period between placing the offer and closing, we doubled the value of the land. And so we walked in on closing day, purchasing it at basically 50 cents on the dollar, even though we you know, got it fully entitled. Was that through an option or was that just under, under contract the whole time? Well, I guess the question is, what's the difference between an option and a contract? Did you pay an upfront fee to, to hold up the land while you were rezoning yeah yeah so i guess the distinction between an option and a, and a contract i mean they're, they're all firm contracts to some to some degree how much money are you putting at risk then w- what happens if you cancel the contract uh do they can they come back and sue you for damages or do they simply take the deposit as their liquidated damages you've got a spectrum of different 
possible outcome. Uh, yeah, Victor, back to that, uh, getting the entitlements before you take down the land. Uh, so the current owner, do you have to have them sign off on all the paperwork you take to the council and all that? Yeah, you definitely have to have uh, the, the current owner uh, participate in that process. And some owners object to that because they say, well, there's a lot of uncertainty in that. Look, the buyer and the seller want the same thing. The buyer and the seller both want certainty. Both want the same thing. Now the question is, what's the source of the uncertainty? The seller is worried, is the buyer capable of closing? There's some uncertainty that if I'm the buyer, there's certain uncertainty that I'm bringing to the table. But I can own that uncertainty. There's a certain set of uncertainty introduced by things that are not in my control. Might be a voted city council, that's not in my control. If you start to separate those two, and of course the seller themselves can introduce uncertainty. Maybe there's some issue that you haven't uncovered yet in due diligence that they're hiding. So you have a conversation with the seller and you say, look, there's uncertainty falls into three buckets. There's uncertainty that you own, there's uncertainty that I own, and there's some uncertainty that's sitting on the table here in the middle. How are we going to deal with each of those three buckets separately? Because if you try and throw them all together, it's a soup that you can't see, you can't get any clarity. You say, well, I'm willing to own the, the uncertainty that I'm bringing to the table. Here's what I'm prepared to do. It might be I'm prepared, if I delay the closing for whatever reason because of an issue on my side, I will increase the deposit amount, there will be a portion of it that will be a non-refundable deposit, maybe we'll increase the purchase price. There's a lot of things you can do to reduce the uncertainty from the buyer's side. The stuff that's in the middle, well, neither of us control that. So we either get comfortable that it exists or don't, but we recognize that it's there and figure out how we're going to negotiate how we're going to deal with it. And that often, just breaking it down that way makes for a much clearer conversation with the seller. I don't know if that fully answers your question, but... So a lot of our investors really care about cash flow. I'd say about 70% care about cash flow and 30 do not. Is your profile of investor different? Uh, do they still care about cash flow? Why don't they... In other words, why do they invest with, with in a development deal where there might not be cash flow for a period of time? That's a great question. We have a hierarchy in our deal structure that usually is a, some kind of preferred return. Oftentimes, the preferred return, what, may, what most people do is the preferred return kicks in when there's cash flow, when there's net, net income. If you're doing a new construction project, you may not have net income for a couple of years. That doesn't mean they, they don't, they're not owed a pref return. There's lots of ways you can solve that with structure. So for example, you might structure the investment as a convertible note. So at the beginning, it looks like a like a interest-bearing instrument, like a loan, a promissory note, and you're gonna pay interest on that money, might be whatever it is, 6% during the construction period. And you're gonna have an interest reserve to pay that interest, same as you would have an interest reserve to, for the bank. It's just a line item in your budget alongside drywall and paint and everything else. And you fund it as part of your overall construction budget. And then the conversation is, all right, so now it's a convertible note. What's the conversion? When does it convert? Does it convert on lease up? Does it convert on certificate of occupancy? Does it convert on repayment of the loan principal? Lots of different decisions you can make of how to make that convert from a note to, to an equity instrument. So we still pay our investors cash flow during construction because we designed it that way. We recognize that investors who are interested in cash flow, yeah, they, yeah, it's just a carrying cost during the construction phase, like lots of other carrying costs. You just budget for it, 
you know, recognize that someone who's investing for cash flow doesn't want to hold their breath for two years. What do you like to do uh, when you convert that note? What's your preference on, is it vacancy or so, or did you just answer that question? There's no cut and dry way of, of doing that. You know, you can, you can convert on completion of construction, on certificate of occupancy. You could convert on hitting a certain leasing threshold. You could continue to do an accelerated pay down of the principal out of cash flow or maybe out of a refinance, it converts. It's an arbitrary, you know, you'll have to model it for your own project to see what makes sense. So far for us, uh, we have typically done that conversion on refi. Principal pay down, then it converts. That's how we've done it in the past. But there's no set rule that says that's the only way to do it. You can structure it however. The, the only word advice I would give you is to make it understandable. If you make it so complex that they can't wrap their mind around it, confused mind doesn't buy. My favorite thing is to return capital to investors. So I, I love it when we do that because now we've got asymmetric risk. All the partners have no cash in the deal, including the equity investors. The only person who has cash in the deal is the bank. And you know we've generating positive cash flow. The project's on autopilot. That's a, that's a great day when that happens. Well, folks, you got to be a fly on the wall during one of our many lunchtime conversations. Some of the deal structure ideas that I was talking about are equally applicable for a buy, fix, and sell transaction, any form of value-added transaction where there's a delay between the acquisition and the property fully performing and generating its revenue that you've set in your performa. Of course, as always, definitely get your own independent legal and accounting advice. Every circumstance is different. There's no way in a podcast that we can cover all of the nuances and considerations when it comes to any particular deal structure. The purpose of a podcast, a real estate meetup group, a mastermind is always to generate ideas for things that might be possible for your business. It doesn't mean they're necessarily appropriate for your specific circumstance. As you're thinking about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.